0: You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit AscendKC.org. Turn to the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible in front of you in the seats. You can find Revelation chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1 on page 1028. You know, several years ago, my family was... Looking forward to, with great anticipation, the release of Disney's movie, Moana. We, we saw the previews for it. We saw that it was going to be a princess, but not kind of the princess that I grew up with and got to see even in that preview that there was some catchy music. And so our, our girls were looking forward to it. Well, Spotify, about a month before the movie release, released the soundtrack, And so for days and weeks, the Terrell home was filled with voices from 6 to 12 belting out with precision every song on that soundtrack. Now, there's no video evidence to prove or disprove this, but maybe my wife and I joined in. (laughs) But what was interesting is the day finally arrived, and we arrived at the movie theater, and as the credits opened and the opening scenes began and the songs that we were so familiar with began to be played what we noticed is while we had an idea of what the story was we didn't know it completely and i think a lot of us come to the book of revelation like the Tarot family with moana I think we've had some songs that we've listened to. We've had some books that we've studied. We might even have studied it ourselves, but have we exegetically, that means pulling out the meaning from the text as the original author intended to the original audience, have we truly done that? Because it's not until we have that exercise that we actually see the film, It's not until we do that exercise that we can truly seek to understand what the Spirit intended. And so what my goal is for me as well as for us as a church family is that we unpack Revelation and understand it how the original author intended for the original audience. And I believe that as we do that... It will provide for us in the 21st century the same benefit it provided for the original audience in the first century, and that benefit is explicitly needed in our day. Now, some of you might come to Revelation, and you might be so excited because you have studied it extensively. Others of you come to Revelation, and you might be resisting it because there's a lot of symbols and imagery in here that we don't necessarily see in other books of the Bible. Others of you might just be interested because, hey, this is a book about the end times and the apocalypse, and, hey, that sounds pretty cool. Well, I submit to you that I think we all have an opportunity to grow. We all have an opportunity to enter this book with humility, but it's important for us that we lay some groundwork. And to that end, I want to invite us all to stand as I read the three verses that we will be focusing on this morning. And then I'm going to ask you to do an exercise. And this exercise is kind of like an end user license agreement with software. If you use the software, that means you agree with the agreement. And so I'm going to ask you after this to sit down and to physically demonstrate a spiritual commitment. And that is that as we all sit down, or you do and I stay standing, that you're symbolically communicating to yourself that you're going to lay down all of your presuppositions. That you're going to lay down all of your isms and your ists that you come to revelation with. And we're going to let the text speak for itself. And I believe that if we will fulfill that commitment, then the first opening words here are going to be what this book delivers a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, verse 1 the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we sense that the time is near. Oh, but may that statement not lend to it the baggage that potentially we bring to it, as though we in the 21st century are the authorities to assign what that timing looks like, what the what actually is. We so easily come to Scripture as though we are the autonomous authority as though our present day is somehow the authority to bring on this ancient text. And yet I pray through your Holy Spirit that we would humble ourselves and acknowledge this text was not written primarily for us. It was written for the seven churches of Asia Minor in John's day. And there are principles and there are truths that are intended to extend beyond all generations But I pray that we, with humility, would gain the groundwork that we lay and that it would equip us with the tools that we need to not only read, but to hear and to keep and obey what this book teaches. I ask these things in Jesus' name and on behalf of everyone who is listening. Amen. You can take your seats. Look at the big idea in your notes. And that is, before we can understand the book of Revelation, we must commit to understanding the book in the Bible's own terms. (laughs) Friends, I hope that one of the benefits of this book is not just to understand the book in our study, but to better understand how to interpret the Bible so much of what we face as christians so much of the anxiety and the fears that we face about today and tomorrow is because we do not interpret the bible accurately and interpreting the bible as we will see this morning is not an easy task it's an ancient book written in an ancient context between that and now there's a massive gap but in order for us to understand what God intended these words to mean, in order for us to understand what these words reveal about God and us in redemptive history, we need to be accurate in our biblical interpretation. And biblical interpretation is not an organizational thing. It's not something that a seminary has the corner on. It's not something that an individual pastor or a Christian author has the corner on the market of. In fact, they are not ultimately the authorities on how to interpret Scripture. The authors of Scripture are. Jesus Christ himself is. And I pray that even if that is introductory for you or new for you, that by the time you commit to studying and engaging with the series and we arrive at the end, you will be all nodding in agreement. Four questions we want to ask of this book that will lay a groundwork for our unpacking it verse by verse. The first one is, why avoid Revelation? Why avoid Revelation? The number one book survey show that church members want their pastor to preach is the book of Revelation. Song of Solomon is a close second. The number one book that pastors want to avoid preaching is Revelation. Why is that? I think the reason is because we struggle studying it. In fact, the reason why most members want a pastor to preach Revelation is so that they can be taught how to understand it. And so let me march through not an exhaustive list, but some categories of reasons why everyone as a Christian tends to want to avoid revelation. The first one is passion. Would you write that down? Passion. There are a few topics that will elicit more passion than topics from revelation. Let me just throw out a few premillennial, amillennial, tribulation. Rapture, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, the two prophets. And I could go on and on and on. And some of you, I can see like the the tails are wagging. (laughs) You're excited. (laughs) Others of you are like, oh, wait, wait, wait. If those topics are in this book, I'm out of here. So don't leave. Others of you are thinking, I will never understand this. But friends, one of the reasons why we do not touch this book is because people are so passionate about the topics. And I I just want to manage expectations. I do have conclusions on all of these topics. I do have personal convictions on all of the isms and the ists. But I'm going to save it until the scripture actually addresses it or... Till the very end and I will reveal to you where I stand on the isms and the ists but hopefully by then you will see that it is not a seminary driven conviction it is a text driven conviction A second reason why people tend to avoid studying the book of revelation you can write this down is that the concepts are unfamiliar The concepts are unfamiliar. We are used to studying the Gospels. We study about Jesus healing people. We study about Jesus providing miracles. We study about Jesus and the 12 disciples. We might even go into the Old Testament and study Genesis or study Psalms or we can even study many of the epistles, but Revelation has a tendency to draw out some unfamiliar concepts. Concepts like angels, beasts, Stars falling from the heavens. These are unfamiliar topics if we are not familiar with all of Scripture. And they are reasons why we tend to avoid revelation. A third reason is tradition. And maybe some of you can relate to me, but I grew up in the 70s and early 80s in my childhood years, and we got to see the film many, many times The Thief in the Night. And i got to tell you, that scared the pants off of me. I remember our, our, our church would have end times conferences. And i got to tell you, that scared the pants off of me. And then I remember that there was a book series that came out. What was it called? The Left? Oh, you're familiar with it. 80 million copies. But thankfully, after we read that book series, we understand all of this clearly, right? There's YouTube videos, there continue to be conferences, and there are, if you Google them, entire ministries devoted to end times and revelation. And so because of tradition, we might be tempted to avoid studying it for ourselves because either we are afraid of it, or we believe because of tradition and previous experiences, we've got a good handle on it. Finally, a fourth reason we Tend to avoid studying Revelation are the Old Testament references and allusions. The Old Testament references and allusions. When you study Revelation, some of them are very clear. There are clear references to the Old Testament. And some of them are not as clear, but there are allusions to the Old Testament all over. And so as we study Revelation, we will be going back to the Old Testament. We will be explaining how John looked at the revelation that he was given, which, by the way, this is a pet peeve of mine, but the name of the book, look at it. It's Revelation, not Revelations. So just let's help each other out on that. But John looked at the revelation that he was given. And yes, there were different scenes, different colors. But he looked at the revelation that he had been given through Old Testament lenses with a substantial awareness of the Old Testament. That's why he references Daniel so much. That's why he references Ezekiel so much. And by the way, if you've studied both of those books, the book of Revelation should not be that unfamiliar to you. But the Old Testament is something that many 21st century Christians do not have great familiarity And in fact, many who might be sitting here or watching online that would say, Pastor, I have great familiarity with the Old Testament. Many of you have been influenced by teachers or tradition and you don't really understand how Old Testament and New Testament work together. Give you some tools to be able to help you evaluate that here in just a moment. But the book of Revelation is a book that many Christians and many pastors tend to avoid but we do not want to do that that's why we're studying it which brings me to the second question then why study revelation so there are reasons although i do not believe them to be valid not to study revelation but we want to answer the question why study revelation and it's actually right there in the text look at verse three the first word blessed and don't you want that i saw two people nod their heads If the God of the universe who created all of this and he created you and he created me said, if you do something, I guarantee you will be blessed, wouldn't we want to do that? Okay, good. We're we're, we're inching closer to being Southern (laughs) Baptists. You know, y'all are allowed to say amen, and you can even turn it into a three-syllable word if you want. (sighs) Amen, brother. The simple answer to answer the question, why study Revelation, is that God promises a blessing. Now, consider the original audience, and we'll dig into this more next week. Which, by the way, if you want to know where we're going next week, verses 1 through 8, we're going to unpack in great detail. But the original audience is verse 4 the seven churches that are in Asia. This is very important for us to understand. Do you realize that this book was not written primarily for scholars? Listen, this book was not written so that only Western Christians in the modern age could understand it. It was written to the seven churches of Asia in the first century. And guess what? They understood it. And so we have to go back to their original context and borrow their lenses so that we can understand what God was intending in the writing of this book. Now consider, if you will, the book of Acts. That's that's the history of the early church. The, The birth of the early church is recorded in the book of Acts. And what you see from the opening chapters is that the church was born out of persecution and into persecution. And you see that persecution began in Jerusalem, and then it extended in Judea, Samaria, and then it extended to the ends of the Roman Empire. But if you were to look at a map of the first century, it was kind of like the beginning stages of a pandemic. You know what those maps look like? They have like splotches of red. But then as the pandemic goes on, the the splotches start to bleed, and it starts to become greater. Well, the early church was persecution, but it was in splotches, it was in locales. In fact, even in the days of Nero, they were splotches, and that's important for us. And beloved, I would just say, let's just pause and understand that history tells us that even under the Nero empire, there was not widespread persecution. During the time of Nero, the persecution was primarily limited to Rome, and it was horrible. But history tells us that if you were going to look at the map of persecution, it did not extend across the Roman Empire. That's going to inform us as we begin to try to understand what the book of Revelation means. But most likely this book was written to the seven churches under the rule of Caesar Domitian. You can write that down. Because history tells us that under Domitian, especially in his latter years, the persecution was extending significantly across the empire. So imagine, if you will, that you are a Christian in one of these seven churches— And you know that the last decades of church history have involved persecution, but they've been in pockets. Some churches have been able to avoid it, but now they see, wait a minute, it is spreading drastically. Don't you think that as an individual in one of those churches, you would begin to get weary? Don't you think that at some point as a Christian in one of those churches, you would begin to get fearful? Don't you think at some point, as a Christian in one of those churches, you would feel like quitting? Beloved, this is the point of the book of Revelation. In fact, let me ask the team to put a quote up on the screen. Revelation is intended to provide the lenses and tools for Christians of every generation to conquer the system of Babylon and endure until their appointed homecoming. That's Revelation. It's a tool. It's a benefit so that the Christians in these seven churches can understand and have the lenses and tools to be able to see what's going on around them from heaven's perspective so that they can conquer the system of Babylon in their own hearts. Beloved, listen. Everywhere you look, you can see the system of Babylon. It is appealing to our flesh It's appealing to our lusts. It's appealing to our pride. It's giving us that that whisper that is telling you, this will satisfy. That will satisfy. I hear people say as they get older, my age, they say, Pastor, I can't believe I'm where I am right now. I, I thought I would be so much further. I thought I would have a bigger bank account, I thought I would have a bigger house. I thought I would have a healthier marriage. I thought I would have a family with kids that are following after Christ. I thought I would have arrived in my career. And all of these things fall into an expectation that the system of Babylon sets. But listen, the system of Babylon also bleeds into the church. And it begins to influence the authors of of Christian books. It begins to influence preachers of the Bible. And they begin to bring the system in instead of letting the scriptures out. And beloved, if we're not careful, even as Christians, the expectations we have for the Christian life, for the local church, for how my Christian spouse should react to me, are more informed by the system of Babylon than the kingdom. And I think the reason for that is because we, and that is what produces in our lives weariness and fear. And so God has provided for us a tool so that in every generation we can look at what's going on around us, what's going on in us, and we can see it from the perspective of heaven And therefore have the lenses and tools that we need to conquer the system of Babylon and and endure until we are promoted to our eternal home. That's a blessing, isn't it? And I got to tell you, I always thought, man, blessed is the person who reads this aloud and hears it and, and lives it out. I thought that meant horizontal blessing. And it does if your definition of horizontal blessing is you now have lenses to be able to understand everything in the horizontal. If you're willing to see that as the greatest gift you could be given, then you understand what this blessing is. So why study Revelation? Because God promises this blessing. Number three, what tools are important? What tools do we as 21st century Christian Americans need to understand this ancient text? What do we need at a sin church to be able to understand the book of Revelation? Well, let's look at verse 1. It says, the revelation the Greek term there is apocalypsis which sounds like the English word apocalypse and so even in that you might think of these paintings that were made back in the Victorian age of the apocalypse it's dark foreboding devastating or even this next one which is a modern rendition of the apocalypse Times square on fire I don't know about you, sometimes when I think of the term apocalypse, that's what I think of, and I need help. Then, look at the next phrase that I want to draw our attention to, the things that must soon take place. I ask the question, when? When is soon? Don't you? I mean, why did John write this, soon? Did he actually mean the churches in Asia, soon? I mean, if he wasn't writing it soon for them and he was writing it actually for us, we think we might be right there. That doesn't make sense. So I need help. What does soon mean? And then verse 2, it says that John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. What does it mean? Was this this a dream? Is this literal? Are these symbols? What is it? What, What did he see? And then the end of verse 3, for the time is near. How near? The time of what? If we're not careful, we can take these terms and these questions and we can be off to the races, can't we? So we, we need tools. We need tools that, that are consistent. We need tools that are not just for us at Ascend for this series, but tools that I believe transcend all generations to help with biblical interpretation. And I want to give them to you, but before I do that, I want to read to you a letter. I'll ask the team to put it up on the screen. The letter goes like this, my dear Rosie, after several days and nights of staring at the ceiling, I wanted you to know that I no longer see the white plaster or the electric lights hanging over my head. I see only your lovely face. The thought of not being able to line up against Jerry and teach him lessons he'll never forget is the hope that it will only be the days until I am in your presence. As I watch the fans swirl to move air in this God forsaken place, I think of the jitter and hope that your dad will keep the floor open long enough for us to usher in the sun. The wasp continues to sting and remind me that I am alive. That makes it worth the pain. Until our rendezvous in the city of stars, let's count the stars. And dream of our reunion, all my love, M.E. Now as I read that, some of you might be able to see some terms and think that you understand the context. As I read that, you probably determine that this is a, a love note. But in order for us to be able to take a letter like this and to be able to understand who the author was, who the audience was, what was actually being communicated, we need help, don't we? And so I'll just tell you, this letter was a compilation of facts that I know about my grandpa and grandma. My grandfather was wounded in World War II, and he spent a long time in hospital. My grandma was a riveter back in the 1940s that they often referred to as Rosie the Riveter. My grandmother lived in a small town in southern Minnesota. Her father owned a dance floor, a dance house in the small community. They enjoyed dancing, and my grandfather's name was Marion Ellsworth, M.E., And so as I explain that, that better helps us understand. It also helps us understand that a love letter isn't intended to be literal instruction. There's going to be symbolism there. There's going to be aspects of the words that we have to actually understand the genre to be able to understand. And and that's just an illustration to help us understand that when we come to this ancient text, we need help, we need tools. Because this was a book that was written many, 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 many years ago to literal people in literal contexts. And so in order for us to be able to understand and interpret Scripture, I want to submit to you four tools that will help us bridge the gap. And beloved, listen, this will be well worth your time to write it down. It wasn't until I got to seminary in my 30s that I ever heard anyone teach me this. I had been going to church for decades. I never had a pastor unpack these tools. So I submit them to you with humility, but also with the proposal that I believe these are the tools that the authors of Scripture use to interpret Scripture. I believe these are the tools that Jesus himself used to interpret and teach Scripture. I believe these are the tools that the disciple and apostle Matthew was modeling, and especially the first two chapters of Matthew, to actually set up how to interpret Scripture. And I think that's why the church fathers put Matthew at the beginning of the New Testament. So I want to divide these four tools into two lenses, micro lenses, focusing on the details and focusing in close on the text, and then macro lenses that require us to step back and to see it as a whole. The first micro lens is the historical tool. Would you write that down? The historical tool. These are concepts like culture. Do you know it is so important that we in the 21st century lay aside our 21st century culture and pick up first century Jewish culture? Pick up first century Roman and Greek culture. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to be experts on them, although, thankfully, in the 21st century, we've had so many archaeology discoveries, we have had so many historians, that there are actually some amazing tools that are out there that will inform us on that history, and we don't need to be scholars to be able to study it. But the exercise is important. Lay aside our culture, pick up their culture, then we're in a position to be able to have micro lenses to bridge the gaps. Another tool within the historical tool is to understand that geography was important. If I was writing to someone in the Midwest, I would refer to things in terms to refer to our geography. And I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time elaborating on it like maybe somebody in the West would need. I remember when I was going to master's college my freshman year. My roommate was from Sacramento, and he had assumed that they had to clear out the cattle for our plane to be able to land back in Kansas City. (laughs) So again, we bring these presuppositions, we we bring our geographical culture to the text, but we've got to actually lay that aside to understand that there are going to be terms and concepts that are geographically given from a historical vantage point. There's also other things to be considered, things like the author and the audience's time, circumstances, and all of those details that we may not be able to completely know, but it allows us through that exercise to lay aside our 21st century context and pick up the historical context. That is crucial. That is micro lens number one. Micro lens number two is what I call the language tool, the language tool. You do understand that the words that we're reading here are not the exact words of the apostle John written in the first century, meaning he did not write in the contemporary ESV language. The the words that were written in the original text are ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. That's very important because guess what? Those are dead languages. None of those languages are spoken or written today as they were. so it requires some work. It requires us to not be experts on Hebrew and Greek, although if you can get there, that will give so much more clarity for you and so much more color of the text, but it's not required. But we have to allow for the fact that this Bible was written in ancient languages. But also there were literary devices we understand that different books were written with different literary devices psalms is poetry genesis is historical narrative the epistles are actually didactic they are instruction we have to allow for the fact that there is a literary style and we'll unpack that next week to see what is the literary style of the book of Revelation. Those are the microlenses, the historical tool, the language tool. But now let's spread back because, listen, there are some pastors and there are some authors that are excellent at the first two, but they forget the next two. The, the historical and the language primarily focus on the text that we're studying. And, man, they are good at that. And they can give you the historical background and the context. They can dig into the original languages and they make the Bible come alive. But if they stop there, they're not following the example of the biblical authors or Jesus himself. So the two macro lenses begin with biblical theology. Biblical theology means that we study every text in light of the whole, we study every text in light of the whole. When we're reading through our our Bible plan, I'm reading through the, the book of Daniel right now, and Hosea, and those are amazing concepts, and as I'm reading through them, like Daniel 9 in the 70 weeks, if all I'm doing is looking at Daniel 9 in the 70 weeks, and all I'm evaluating is it, I'm missing out. Romans 9 through 11 is, a, is an awesome section of Scripture, but it can be confusing. Whole systems divide over what does that actually mean. And if all I'm doing is looking at Romans 9 through 11 and Israel and Gentiles and which one has, you know, what future and, and what are the, the, the branches that are grafted in, and all I'm doing is looking at Romans 9 through 11, I can draw some conclusions that the rest of Scripture doesn't hold up. Biblical theology is very important so that as we study next week, Revelation one, one through eight, we'll extract the history, we'll extract the language, but we also have to evaluate where does it stand in light of the whole Which brings me to the fourth tool and the second macro and this is one that I've called full bloom. My, uh, my supervisor for my doctoral dissertation said that's kind of a lame term. <laughs> but by the time he told me that, I was almost ready to submit and I couldn't change it. But here's what I mean by full, tu- full bloom. The Old Testament is the gospel in seedling form. The New Testament is it in full bloom. Or said another way, The Old Testament and the New Testament are in the same room. This is so helpful. In fact, if you would write this down, I think it might help you at least begin to understand the purpose of the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament are in the same room. They're in this same room for sake of illustration. But the Old Testament, while looking at the same furniture, while looking at the same stage, while looking at everyone who's in this room, has the lights way down low. So as they're explaining things, as they're looking into the future, they're describing all of the same things that the New Testament sees. There's no difference. But the New Testament, through Christ and through progressive revelation, has the lights turned up. And this is where some people would say, well, listen, the the approach that we take... To interpreting scripture doesn't allow for the old testament context it does and we don't change it we don't over spiritualize it we just acknowledge that through christ and through progressive revelation the lights are on that's what full bloom is and see i think if we would take these tools and follow the example as i'm studying Hosea, i'm realizing he's using these same tools as I study Psalm and I see Psalm 2 and I see David talk about the Lord's anointed, he's using the same tools. As I look at the authors of the Gospels, he's using the same tools. Paul, as he's writing to these churches, using the same tools. And John in the book of Revelation is using the same tools. So listen, beloved, we must use the same tools. And now that we have these tools, it brings us to number four. What is? Revelation. We've covered a lot. Some of you might be sitting here saying, oh, I feel like we have been in a seminary class. Well, just hold on. Studying a great book like Revelation deserves this kind of effort. But I want to quickly explain, as I've studied Revelation and continue to study it, what I believe this book is actually. Here's a quote from Nancy Guthrie from her book, Blessed. Revelation is the curtain being drawn back so that we can see the powers of this world will be overthrown and replaced by the kingdom of God. Amen? We could think of it as a news report on what is happening on earth as reported from heaven. I love that. I mean, this is not a unique book. Ezekiel does this. Daniel does this. But but, but don't you love having current events and the future and the past revealed as heaven sees it? That's the most important perspective. Angels and demons are in full view. and We see past, current, and future events in cosmic technicolor. Communicated to us in the forms of images and impressions, metaphors and symbols. And beloved, I believe the same expectation and benefit that we will experience is what God intended for it to be written originally. And that is that it is provided to equip, encourage, and energize us to conquer the system of Babylon in our own lives and endure until we are promoted to heaven.